Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. We're in, um, we're in the midst of a series right now uh, called Citizen. We just kicked it off last week, uh, where we're talking about what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, uh, looking at marks of a model life. And uh, what's guiding us through this series that'll take us sometime into August, I'm not exactly sure when we'll stop um, because I haven't looked at the calendar and I don't know how it all works out, but uh, we're going through the Beatitudes um, and there's eight Beatitudes and so those are guiding us through uh, what it looks like to be a citizen in, in God's kingdom. So I'm going to continue that today. Uh, I'll try not to preach long because we're going to take communion at the end of that. I'm also going to keep my spitting to a minimum while I talk. <laughs> Just back up a touch. Maybe for the next service we can leave it over there and then bring it over. It's holy though. It's, it's sanctified. Well, now that's going to bother me. I've got to even them. <laughs> Come with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. So this is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Have you all heard of the Sermon on the Mount? You guys, yeah? It's this famous sermon of Jesus uh, that he shares to a large crowd of people, lots and lots of people. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. That's what the word blessed means, happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I can get on board with that. But this next sentence is illogical. Happy are those who mourn. Do you see the tension? You guys are all looking at me like deers in headlights. You don't get it. Okay, so... Mourning is a sad emotion. Happy is a happy emotion. Oh, we get it now. Okay, yeah, got it. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The title of today's message is Joy in the Morning. And as I said, we're looking at what it means to be citizens of this heavenly kingdom. And that's really what the Beatitudes are all about, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. It's no coincidence that the first one begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it starts out with us receiving. It's not just entrance into the kingdom of heaven, it is inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. And that citizenship is uh, a citizenship of blessedness, of happiness. In fact, the word Beatitude means total bliss. And the first one gives you the key, poor in spirit. So dependence on Christ is the key. Can I just get a little bit of the bottom end taken out of my microphone? Thank you. Uh, poor in spirit is the key to entrance into God's kingdom. Uh, in other words, confessing that we are spiritually poor, that we have spiritual need, and that need is met through the spiritual wealth, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What's really important for you to understand as a citizen in God's kingdom is that uh, being dependent upon Christ is not just necessary for entrance into. It's not just the way into the kingdom, it's the way of the kingdom. 
you never stop being dependent upon Jesus Christ. You see, learning to live as a citizen in this kingdom isn't just following a manual. It's following a person. And his name is Jesus. And the great benefit of being in his kingdom is that you have relationship with the king. And your relationship is not that of a pauper or a beggar. Your relationship is that of one who actually sits with him on his throne. I mean, that is an amazing thing that you share in his rule and his reign. That's how close you are. The analogy that Jesus uses is that you are like a branch in a grapevine. That connected to him. And without that connection, you and I cannot bear fruit. We, we can't experience or, or develop any kind of the qualities that are part of being a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. So it's really important that you keep that in mind as we go through these Beatitudes over these, these several weeks, because I don't want you just to read them and go, cool, let me try to do that. Now, without question, there is effort that we put into it, but it is effort in conjunction with relationship. And we are a spiritual people who have spiritual beliefs, and we actually believe that when we come together as God's people in a gathering like this, and when we gather together in our neighborhood groups, and when we sing the songs, and we pray our prayers, and we submit ourselves to the scriptures, and we come to the Lord's table, that all of that is forming us. Let me get a shout out from all our sons, Formation, who are participating in, yeah, we're, we're being formed as we connect and commune with Jesus Christ, and the life that is in him flows into us. This is what it is to be a Christian. It is to be a spiritual person. It's not just following a manual. It's following the person. And these qualities, all of Jesus' qualities, including these Beatitudes, he possessed them first. And so as it relates to today, Jesus is the one who showed us what it is to mourn and therefore shows us what it is to be comforted. And that's how we can make sense of this ridiculous sentence, happy are those who mourn. What does it mean to mourn? It doesn't mean to walk around sad. Certainly from the accounts of of Jesus' earliest disciples in the scriptures, we don't get the sense that they were walking around sad all the time. Christians are not a sad people. We are a rejoicing people. We are a hopeful people. We are blessed and overjoyed at what Christ has done for us and what he has given to us. But at the same time, we recognize that there are certain realities that result from the sinfulness and fallenness of our lives that that produce negative things in our own worlds and in the world around us. And there's an appropriate kind of mourning that is associated with that. The word here that Jesus uses for mourning is associated with death and loss. And what he's telling us is that the blessing of comfort comes to those who turn to him because they recognize the destructive effects of sin in their own lives. In other words, they recognize that they are poor in spirit and that that poverty of spirit hasn't just kept them outside of of God's realm, if you will, but also has, has wreaked destruction and decay in the realm that they inhabit, that they have contributed to that, they are contributors to suffering and sinfulness and brokenness, not just experiences of it. You see, sin has not just led to our dysfunction. I think we can all get on board with the fact that we are all just like, I don't know, at least 10% dysfunctional. Any honest people in church today? It's like, yeah, probably so. But sin has not just led to our dysfunction, it's led to our death. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills love and intimacy. Sin kills trust and and sin kills futures and potential and opportunity and ultimately sin kills ourselves and that 
That death that comes on, on behalf of sin is something that we ought to mourn. And Jesus modeled this very thing for us. Not that he himself had sin to mourn, but that he mourned the effects of our sin. Three times in the scriptures we see that Jesus actually physically wept. He was mourning. And he was mourning over the results of sin. The first is in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus is making his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem at the start of the Passion Week leading up to when he would be crucified. And he's riding there on his donkey in this, this coronation of coming as the king of Israel and all the world. And there as he comes down the mountain and he looks at Jerusalem, the scripture says that he wept. He wept over the fact that Israel was rebellious and sinful and they missed the opportunity. They missed the time of God coming to them that they would have peace and they rejected Christ. And as a result of that, Jesus prophesied that there would be a citywide destruction that would come upon them. And that was fulfilled 40 years later in AD 70 when the Roman Empire completely sacked the city of Jerusalem. But understand that Jesus did not pronounce judgment with a smile. He pronounced judgment with tears in his eyes because of the result of sin. The next time we see that Jesus wept is in John chapter 11 when he's outside the tomb of his close friend Lazarus. He wept because death had come prematurely for Lazarus. He wept because death was even a reality at all. He wept because Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha and his friends were all grieving. He wept because death was never part of his plan for humanity. Death is a corruption of life and so Jesus wept. The third time is actually in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So here in this verse, we actually learn that Jesus experienced weeping somewhat regularly during his life because he knew the future that awaited him on the cross. He wept over his suffering that was necessary to atone for our sin. He wept because reverent submission, the phrase that it uses there, he wept because reverent submission won't always put a smile on your face. Well, I don't feel it. Yeah, I know. It's not bringing me peace. That's okay. It won't always. His weeping was not a complaint. It was not an attempt to delay his destiny, not like my four-year-old beloved daughter of mine who is in the wonderful habit of crying every time she doesn't want to do something. Doesn't want to go to bed, doesn't want to brush her teeth, doesn't want to go to the bathroom, doesn't want to sit in the chair and eat her lunch and not get crumbs all over the floor. And so when I ask her to do it, she cries. Sometimes she even says when I ask her to go to bed, she cries and she goes, I can't, I'm too tired. <laughs> Her weeping is a delaying of her destiny. The child will sleep. You will go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. Is that Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? I can't remember. Great movie. It's one of Ben Stiller's greatest roles, honestly, if you haven't seen it. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, that's good. Enough to make me not feel crazy. Jesus didn't weep to delay his destiny. He wept because he embraced it. His weeping was the reality of persevering through the pain of human experience that has been so deeply marked by our sin. And so if we see that Jesus wept over our sin and the brokenness that it has caused, how much more should you and I be accustomed to weeping over these things? To mourn over the effects of our sin? 
We must allow ourselves to be touched by the pain of our own infirmities. You see, that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. It's not whether or not we have infirmities, it's whether or not we allow ourselves to be touched by them. And the difference between a Christian and any other person of faith is the decision for whether or not we will try to heal our infirmities on our own by making up for them or if we will allow Christ to heal our infirmities. There are many people of faith in this world who mourn, but only Christians can mourn with the promise of the presence of comfort. And that's important before we get carried away here in the sorrow. Let's remember the shocking nature of Jesus' statement that mourning is the place where the comfort of Christ sets in. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, don't mistake the will be there as placing the comfort solely far off in a distant place that you can look forward to one day, but don't get to experience now. No, the comfort is not just in a place. As I said at the start, the comfort is the person of Jesus. And just as through his life and through his death, he is accustomed with our mourning, so also through his resurrection, he has received and and inherited the, the comfort of irreversible victory in his resurrection. Jesus Christ has risen with healing in his wounded hands. And every single person who turns to him in the midst of their mourning will be each and every time comforted. And we are comforted because the Holy Spirit is real. And he really is present in our lives. And one of the ways that he often comforts is with promises. He reminds you of his promises. That's why when you mourn your sin or when you mourn the decay and the brokenness in your life that maybe sin in your family has brought about, if in that place of mourning the voice that you hear is not sowing hope into you, then it's not the voice of God. Because when the Holy Spirit comforts, he comes with all the promises of God the Father, every single one of which are yes in Jesus Christ and amen. These promises are so powerful that even if they yet be future in terms of their full experience, the promise itself can overcome the presence of the morning. Even Jesus was comforted by the promises in his morning. In the moment of weeping over Jerusalem, he had the promise of the church that was coming, God's people, Jew and Gentile, united together. In the moment of weeping over Lazarus, he had the the promise of the the comfort of Lazarus' resurrection and the resurrection of all who believe at the end of the age. In the presence of his own mourning over his own suffering, Hebrews 12 and verse 2 goes on to say that actually for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Each and every time Jesus mourned, he had the presence of comfort as a result of promises of God. And that's how great the comfort of Christ can be in your life. That's how strong the promises of God can be in your life, which is why it would be so helpful for you to know some. I have such a a vision and a passion for this church to produce the most B.A. Christians in this entire city (laughs) who live in accordance with their calling. And I want to help you know it. Not, Not just be able to read it, but have it in here. I was struck with a thought two months ago. I immediately called Pastor James, our executive pastor, because I was so overcome by this thought. I was driving down the freeway coming back from like Simi Valley. I don't even know what I was doing out there, but I was struck by this random thought. And the random thought was this, that what happens when people in our church one day lie on their deathbed and they can't recite or rehearse a single scripture from memory? Maybe with not a, a Bible around you to grasp, to comfort yourself with, 
in that moment. What happens if you ever find yourself in a dark, troubling, difficult place and you need to be comforted, but you have not the promises of God hidden in your heart? I'm tangential at the moment, but rabbit trails are good every now and then. Sometimes you catch the rabbit. It's so important that you and I know these promises so that the Holy Spirit can comfort us with them. Is it not comfort that God comes into your life to bring? Did Jesus himself not say that he comes to bind up the brokenhearted? Are his bandages not able to mend where we are wounded? Is it just the idea of comfort that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians when he says, though we are afflicted, God comforts us? No, it's not just the idea. It's the reality of comfort because though mourning brings with it loss, the kingdom brings with it restoration. And where there has been lost years due to fear, the kingdom restores youthfulness. Where there has been lost provision due to the enemy stealing from you, the kingdom brings restoration. Where there has been the loss of life and, and, and there has been the experience of death, the kingdom restores life. Where you've lost peace and you've had anxiety, the kingdom restores peace. He restores purpose where there's been futility. And this is the thing you ought to know about the, rest the restoration of the kingdom of heaven is that God comes in your life not just to restore you in the sense of getting you out of the red and barely back into the black. A revelation that God gave me a number of years ago, he spoke it to me so clearly. He said, Jake, what you have gained in Christ is greater than what you lost in Adam. And though in Adam you lost a whole lot, Jesus Christ has more than made up. His grace has thrown you beyond the place of your losing into the place of my provision. That's why Adam may have lost a garden, but in Jesus Christ we have received a heavenly city. Adam may have lost a single tree of life, but in that heavenly city that tree lines the river, bears its fruit every single month. You may have lost eternal son of God who is connected to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so truly blessed are those who mourn their sin because I've lost. But in that place of mourning, you will be comforted and carried into the place of God's provision. Think of the prodigal son. You know the story in Luke chapter 15. He asked his dad for his inheritance early, which is culturally equivalent to saying, dad, I wish you were dead. He gets what he wants, and then he, not many days later, goes on a journey into a far-off distant place, and he squanders the entirety of his wealth on reckless living. And at his lowest moment, he, a Jewish man, is in a pigsty, and he's tempted to eat the slop from the pig's trough. And there in that moment, he comes to his senses, and he remembers, I could go back to my dad's place, and I could become a servant, and that would be better than what I'm experiencing here. And so he prepares this speech. You can read it in Luke chapter 15. Here's exactly what I'm going to say to my father so that I can win him back enough so that he'll let me serve in his household. And he travels the distance back home. And while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and he runs to him. And it's amazing. As soon as the father runs up to him, the son, Jesus says, begins to say the speech. But he doesn't ever finish it because in the moment of saying the speech, the father's putting a ring on his finger and a robe on his shoulders and shoes on his feet. And he's calling for the party of the century. And, and what happens in that moment is that mourning is swallowed up with joy. 
It's just like Jesus said earlier in the chapter when he said, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than there are over 99 people who think that they need no repentance. What is that all about? Repentance is a moment of mourning, and yet in that moment of mourning, Jesus says heaven is joy? Why? Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He comes to meet you in your comfort. Perhaps the reason some of us aren't adequately comforted is because we never properly mourn. We haven't actually mourned our sin. When you are that prodigal who's tempted to eat the slop from the pigsty, you have options there. Your options are you maneuver instead of mourn. And you come up with a plan to try to better your circumstance and, and circumnavigate your way around the, the terrible situation that you've gotten yourself into so that, so that you can have a better go at things and, and maybe have another try before you humble yourself and go back to your father. How often are we confronted with the brokenness of our sin, but instead of mourning, we justify? Or instead of mourning, we try to balance out the scale with some extra good deeds so that I can make up for it. Or instead of mourning, we reach out for other comforts to try to comfort us from the stinging of our conscience. But those comforts don't actually comfort. There's not actually any blessing in them. And so because we're not comforted by them, we go back to the original sin that stung our conscience in the first place because we never mourned and so we were never comforted. The comfort of God will come into your life and it will change you. When God comforts, he heals. When God comforts, he mends. When, when God comforts, he, he sanctifies. And maybe some of us here today have not been healed from the comfort of God because we haven't actually mourned. I was first exposed to pornography when I was probably 13 years old. I can remember the day clear as crystal in my brain out in the woods with some friends uh, having a sleepover and there was this magazine out in these woods and that image marked me and it opened the door for me to step into a habit, a lifestyle of sexual immorality and lust. And I carried that sin into the early years of Nicole and I's marriage and I was so ashamed and so broken over this habit that I couldn't seem to break. One day I got so, I don't know how else to say it, I got so sick of myself and so sick of the sin. I laid down on the floor in our living room and I just, I mourned. I mourned over the, the brokenness that it brought about in my own life and, and, and the seeds of distrust that it sowed in my own marriage and how it kept me from being the husband that God had called me to be. And just as I said at the start of this message, we are a spiritual people who have a real relationship with Christ. And when I hear a promise like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, I take it as more than just something to look forward to in the future because I have experienced it as something in the present. Because when I laid down on that floor and I grieved and mourned my sin, I got up off that living room floor a different person. And my desires had changed. And that habit that I had carried for so many years was genuinely, truly broken in that moment and my relationship with lust has been different ever since. Because blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. And the comfort of God brings healing. 
God's heart is moved by mourners. Maybe some of you here today, you have something that you need to mourn. Maybe it's your own sin. Maybe it's the effects of other people's sin in your own life. God can't comfort you if you don't allow him to. Recently I heard a story of a pastor who, uh, he and his wife, they had a little girl and he was tucking her into bed. And I'll never forget this story because it was quite personal to me. Um, He was tucking his daughter into bed and the song that he sings his daughter every night when he's tucking her in is You Are My Sunshine. You, You know the song? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Make me happy when... Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's a perfect song to sing to your daughter. And he's singing the song to his daughter, and then he tucks her in, he kisses her goodnight and closes the door, and he goes into his bedroom, and his wife is there in their their bed, and she's crying in the bed. And he's, what's wrong? She says, you're such a good dad, and I love the way that you love our daughter, but also at the same time, it sometimes is hard emotionally for me because I didn't have a dad like that. And so they went to bed. A few weeks later, they were in a a prophetic gathering, which is why, by the way, do everything you can to get into Holy Spirit Conference. Never underestimate what God can do in your life just through a prophetic moment. I shared our house story last week. That happened at Holy Spirit Conference last year. So they're in a, a prophetic gathering, and there's a visiting minister who's praying over all these people, and he's going down the line. He gets to the guy. He prays for him. It's like, okay, it was, you know, felt a little bit generic, not really sure what that, you know, how that applies. Phrase over a bunch of people, gets down the line, gets to the guy's wife. And he's like, okay, maybe this is an opportunity. God's going to give us a word for our family. And the guy gets to his wife and he begins to pray over her. And then he pauses and he says, I don't have a prophetic word for you, but God gave me a song. And he began to sing, you are my sunshine. My only sunshine. God was comforting her in that moment. Letting her know, hey, you may have not had that father in your earthly experience, but I am your father. And blessed are those who mourn in the quiet, in your bedroom, just you, maybe your spouse, thinking that nobody's listening, but God is listening. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, might be a few weeks later, comforted. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.